It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the Final Word Storytime, episode 121. Jeff Lemon and Barrett Cinderason with you for another wander through the lanes and byways of cricket history. Disjointedly coming to you, Barrett, you are already in Nagpur. I'm on my way to Nagpur in, in a transit hotel, which I couldn't say is the worst transit hotel in the world, but it might give the top 10 a shake. You're already on the ground oh. in Nagpur. Have you learned anything, any revelations before I join you there in the next day or so? Well, hello, Jeffrey. Now, I have learned a lot about uh, Australia's training, but not in Nagpur, mm. but in Bangalore, where I was before I uh, reached Nagpur. Australia had a camp in Alur, which is in the outskirts of uh, the city of Bangalore. And uh, yeah, I've spent three wonderful days doing what I love to do the best, is which is watch training. And it's just Louis Cameron and I. And uh, it's been great just you know, picking the brains of the Australian cricketers and kind of getting a very insightful and an inside look at how they train for, for such a unique challenge, which is test cricket in India. Okay. And, and what have you picked up? Well, I would ideally say you'll have to read about it, but no, I'm too lazy to write about all that. But no, A, of course, there's uh, the Ashwin impersonator, which uh, is it's also a fascinating story about how this... W- cricket world of ours is shrinking at, at a rapid pace but it shrunk to a point where you could just be a kid somewhere in some part of the world and have an Instagram account bowl a certain way and you could get a gig with an international team albeit Mahesh Pitya has played four Ranji Trophy matches very recently and is a lovely chap but another throwdown guy uh, 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 that's another breed of uh, cricket people these days, right? The throwdown mm-hmm. specialists. So, a guy who's never played cricket at any high level. Uh, a throwdown guy called Pritesh who's been messaging one of the Australian assistant coaches for months now saying, when you come, please give me a gig, please give me a gig. And it reaches a point where the Australian team need spinners who could help them practice for Ashwin and Jadeja. So the guy's like, okay, here's the deal. We'll give you a gig in Bangalore if you can find spinners who can bowl like Ashwin and Jadeja. And Lo and behold, they find a Ranji Trophy spinner, young kid, who bowls a lot like Ashwin. Hmm. And his life is made. He just bowls one spell. I was there uh, famously when Matt Renshaw said, this guy bowls like Ashwin. And Steve Smith hears that from the adjoining net. He's like, oh, really? I want to see him. I want to see him. And he sees one ball and immediately jumps in. And the guy's life is made because I subsequently write about him. And then he's been covered by every major news station, newspaper (laughs) in, in India. He's been given an extension with the Australian team till the end of the uh, Delhi test, I think. And today, he was on the same. I was on the same fl- flight. I mean, some of these Australian cricketers must think I'm this high-profile 
massively rich journalists because every flight they have been getting on i'm there <laughs> <laughs> only purely by chance from singapore <laughs> to bangalore from bangalore to nagpur and he was there as well and um, uh, it was quite cute when i was waiting for the luggage the guy, uh, mahesh comes up to me and says brother i want a picture with you i said why do you want a picture with me he's like no you made me a superstar <laughs> overnight <laughs> i mean i said look you bowl like ashwin steve smith wants to face you not me he prefers me standing behind him in the net but no, it, it's been a fascinating week and just like uh you know just seeing the australians in their element far away from the chaos that is indian cricket and in india in a very quiet corner where you can just honestly jeffrey we could have been in glenelg at the glenelg oval you could just hear <laughs> birds it was beautiful uh yeah it, it's been quite unique it's a very serene uh, setup but of course everything turns chaotic once you get to nagpur i had a very spicy lunch as well but we also discovered um, nagpur's first ever microbrewery which is wow. literally next door to uh, where all the other journals are staying I, i'm just uh, returning from that microbrewery and and it's not bad it's even got the peter lawler nod so that ca- it can't be too bad right so that's where we'll be spending mm-hmm. a lot of our evenings once we're done with our work. Okay. All right. Well, it's quite an eventful few days for you then and I'll be looking forward to checking out the lay of the land when I get there. In the meantime, let's get on with some story time. This episode is late because we've been travelling, we've been all over the place and so it's a rare midweek story time, but so be it. This is sometimes the way that we're going to have to do things over the next few weeks and we're going to run this show via the medium of a game called Nerd Pledge, which I'm not going to yell out because the walls in this place are very thin and I will probably be visited by <laughs> some sort of gangster if I do so. Nerd Pledge is a game that we accidentally invented on this show uh, via the inadvertent originator, Philip Meng. It is a game of quizzes. It's a game of numbers. Here's how it works. People fund this show by sending in contributions that are not normal amounts of currency, but they are cricket numbers. And we don't know anything more than that. We have to work out what the number means. Occasionally, they send us a clue to set us off in the right direction. And I don't know about your answers this week, Bharat, but my answers have a a pretty strong India theme here and there. and, And I suspect a couple of yours do as well. This one, comes in from Shyam Sundaraman, first cab this week. It is $5.80 in USD. So the number is 580, which you could interpret in any way that you want with a decimal point or not, wherever you like. And Shyam Sundaraman has sent through a clue, which is this. He passed 30 five times in his last six innings, including a 50 on what would turn out to be his last ever test appearance. The pledge refers to a score he made in a historic test historic for what it meant to the other team what do you got well uh i used to be mistaken for this fellow tamilian batter uh, when i was growing up and batting left-handed and not doing really well purely because i didn't move my feet much much like this particular tamil nadu left-hander uh the only difference being he was one of the most elegant left-handers you'd ever see which is sadagopan ramesh uh who he had a bizarre career. I mean, he makes his debut uh, against the might of Pakistan. This is Pakistan's return to India after many years to play test cricket, well over 10 years. And you have a bowling attack which comprises of the great Wasim Akram, the great Wakayunis, and the great Shoy Bakhtar, and Saklain Mustak, of course. Mm-hmm. And he just gets off his test career to this blazing start. Hits, uh, like Sham says, he hits... Uh, 350s in his first four innings, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and not only does he score runs, he looks at ease. Uh, you speak of, you know, people speak of Rohit Sharma having a lot of time on the ball, right? Sadagopan Ramesh had a lot of time on the ball while Shoaib Akhtar was bowling at him. Now, that <laughs> is called having time on the ball. <laughs> and not just Shoaib Akhtar, even Wasim Akram Bakar. So 99, all of them are at their peak. Shoaib Akhtar just burst onto the scene a, a, a year prior to that. Uh, and in the heat of the battle in Chennai, in front of his home crowd, in a very famous test match, Sadagopan Ramesh makes his debut and scores runs. But the Nerd Pledge itself from Sham, 580 is the 58 he scores uh, against Bangladesh in their first ever test match in in 2000. He subsequently did play a, a handful of test matches and he makes a 50 in his last test on a tour of Sri Lanka and that's pretty much it for Sadagopan Ramesh. Strangely, uh, he looked like 
He had the goods to have a long run, but by the time he hits his mid-twenties, his, uh, his career is over. He was also part of that famous 2001 Australia Tour. We're talking about Australia touring India That's again, right. uh, where he had some great contributions, including some spectacular catches at, at short leg, including the famous one where Harbhajan Singh takes his hat-trick, you'd remember, uh, uh, where he goes through uh, three Australians in Calcutta. But it was his batting, just pure elegance. Like I said, didn't move his feet too much, but was was a joy to the eye. Also played in the 99 World Cup and also surprising that he didn't have a long career because it was this bizarre period in Indian cricket where they just didn't have openers. They literally did not have mm. openers. Now Joe Singh Sidhu retires or uh, stops playing after that 98 tour of Australia where he was really uh, took Shane Warne down or uh, took Shane Warne apart. Uh, and this is before Virinder Sehwag is kind of moved to open the batting. Uh, another chance move. So that's a period where Vivis Lakshman's opening, you have the likes of Devan Gandhi and that infamous tour of Australia which Saragopan Ramesh was a part of, but he gets injured. If he hadn't gotten injured, he would have played all three test matches, 99-2000. But because he gets injured, they have everyone from MSK Prasad getting bowled off a full toss to Brett Lee, Devan Gandhi and many others putting their hand up and eventually Vivis Lakshman makes a 167. So it's not that he had a lot of competition, it's just weirdly he got injured at the wrong times like that Australia tour and this final tour of 2001 to Sri Lanka where India lose 2-1 he's amongst the runs he's got a start in every innings but he's made a scapegoat at least according to a large section of Indian cricket fans and he's let go but there are two notable contributions that he made to Tamil cinema strangely enough (laughs) Uh, in, in his later years because uh, he also loses his spot in the Tamil Nadu side. He, I think he picks up a back injury and by 32, 33, his first class career is over as well. And then there's, uh, he tries his hand at movies but there's this first movie, I don't remember the name, it's a Tamil movie, like I said, he plays the the main hero character's brother. I think it's a romantic movie. Uh, and he's a brother with no dialogue. Mm-hmm. He's just in and around. A brother or friend, like the hero's friend. He's around. Except he has one dialogue and it's a very cricketing dialogue. <laughs> so in this scene, and you can find it on YouTube, Saragoman Ramesh is just asleep on the bed next to, next to the hero. And in this random disconnect, it has no connection to the movie or the character that Saragopan Ramesh is playing. He just wakes up in his dream like he's seen a nightmare and screams, Bucknar, Kaututie, and then goes back to sleep. <laughs> which is translated as Steve Buckner, you just sold me down the river. <laughs> which is like one of the bizarrest movies, movie scenes in the history of the world. <laughs> Here's he a cricketer not playing himself, uh-huh. but playing someone who has no other dialogue, randomly waking up in this dream dream scenario and abusing Steve Buckner <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> so it's, it, it's, it's, I'm sure you need to, even if you don't understand the language, that's a must see mm-hmm. scene. And years later in 2010, and I actually interviewed him for this because, uh, uh, I knew someone who was involved with the production of this movie. Saragopan Ramesh starred in a movie. It's a strange name, Patapati 50-50. <laughs> and in this movie, Interestingly, Saragopan Ramesh plays himself in the main lead. And you'd love the love the premise of the story. He's kind of kidnapped <laughs> from Chennai and dragged to a village where uh, or, or a rural part of Tamil Nadu where there are two villages at war. Basically two I mean two guys from each village are vying for the attention of one girl. And eventually mm-hmm. for some reason <laughs> the village that kidnaps him oh, oh, so the condition is that each will, both villages will play a cricket match against each other. Whichever wins, the girl goes to the guy that belongs to that village. And Saragopan Ramesh is kidnapped by one of those villages so that he can coach them to play cricket. And in all this, he falls for the hero <laughs> to the girl <laughs> that they are buying for. I, yeah, I, 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 I still haven't got my head around it. I interviewed him about it and he was very happy about the movie. I don't think it did too well, but... It's, it's, you know, for as much as he achieved on the cricket field, and I know he should have done a lot more, what he did in those two instances in the, for Tamil cinema, I think, makes Sadakopan Ramesh uh, an ultimate superstar. And, I mean, he's been doing a lot of commentary. He does, he sings a lot. He has his own studio. So his complete music studio has uh, shifted his focus purely to music. So a fascinating character, Sadakopan Ramesh, but uh, uh, should have played a lot more test cricket and uh, maybe even for uh, short form cricket for India. But it wasn't to be. <laughs> what, 
what what an extraordinary <laughs> uh, circumlocution of an answer. So he, he feels better about those movies than he does taking the um, the catch off Shane Warne, isn't it, to complete the hat trick? Ponting Gilchrist, yeah, Warne, yeah. I, I suspect. And yeah, I, I remember him vividly being one of those names. With Shivsundar Das was the other opener in that series, wasn't he? Yep. As they were trying to yep. make things work, yeah. And and that strange period where he he gets dropped despite making. A decent number of starts, as Shyam points out, you know, makes 35 times in his last six innings. Uh, Raul Dravid comes in for one test opening and then Deep Dusk Gupta opens the batting and makes a ton and then gets punted as well. So it was a, a tricky time to be an Indian opener. I, I suppose it still is, you know, the, the way things chop and change. Rohit Sharma's mm. got a lock at the top, but we, we've seen so many Indian openers in the last five or six years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and also 2001, Virinder Sehwag makes his test debut at Bloemfontein, batting at number six, makes a famous 100. And within a year, he's he's just promoted to open the batting. Uh, and, and that's all she wrote for Sadakopan Ramesh, though he was, funnily enough, part of the 2003-04 India Tour of Australia, where Akash Chopra somehow got ahead of him and then Sehwag and Akash Chopra, the Delhi duo, just formed a great opening partnership that worked somehow and that was it for Sadakopan Ramesh. He never was part of an India squad again. Well, you might be hearing a little more about Verenda Sehwag later in the show. I'm just going to say that. But for now... I'm doing a number from Jeremy Brown. This is $20.79 AUD. Generous supporter of the show and has been for a long time, Jeremy Brown. And when this name comes around, look, it's not quite Rob O'Neill, but there's there's usually something a bit oblique about a Jeremy Brown number. There's something that's not quite the most obvious thing. And so I'm going down a bit of a byway here and... It's to do with the double, all right? It's to do with players doing the double in a first-class cricket season. And usually that means 1,000 runs and 100 wickets in the season. Lots of players who've done that, quite a lot, have done it a number of times, mostly due to county cricket in England where the volume of matches let players get there. So once in a while you get a mostly batting player like a, a Trevor Bailey or Frank Woolley or someone like that who bowled enough to be able to nab 100 wickets in a season at some point. Um, much more often it's bowlers who can bat a bit given the number of times that they're called on to bat in a season. They can scrape their way up to 1,000 runs in the season just by virtue of, of the bulk of runs. But a much more rare version of this is the wicket-keeping double, which is 1,000 runs in the season plus 100 dismissals behind the stumps. And it's not really a thing that you can broadly say has been done because it's almost entirely Les Ames, the great England keeper who did it three different times. The Middlesex and England keeper John Murray did it once in 1957 and came close in a a couple of other seasons. But there are very few visiting wicket keepers who get anywhere near this. And it did almost happen in 1954 via Imtiaz Ahmed. So we've talked about Imtiaz Ahmed before, uh, played for Pakistan right from the beginning, dashing looking individual, uh, freakish player in some ways. He's effectively Pakistan's first keeper. He plays as a specialist bat in their first ever series against India when Harif Mohammed is behind the stumps. But after that does the job 38 times for Pakistan, played 39 tests in a row, which was a record at that point, and batted all around the order. Sometimes he opened the batting. He was good against the short ball. Sometimes he came down the order, sometimes middle order. And he's got the gloves on Pakistan's first ever trip to England. This is a test series that ends in a draw, which is a pretty significant achievement for Pakistan going to England for the first time. The first test they play has three days rained off. It's a draw. The second one, England win by an innings after Dennis Compton makes 278. The third, Pakistan gets saved by rain in real trouble. But it's the fourth test when they shock England Despite only making 133 and then 164, they bowl out England for 130 and 143. 
Faisal Mahmood takes 12 wickets. They win by 24 runs, and our man Intiaz Ahmed makes 35, takes seven catches behind the stumps, and it's one of those early days England tours where they play all 17 counties. They play Oxford and Cambridge. They play the Combined Services 11. They play the Tom Pierce 11, which is one of those scratch festival teams at the end of the season at Scarborough. And they even, Barat, this one might surprise you, play Canada. <laughs> The, the Canadian national team, for some reason, is touring England in 1954 as well. And so the Canadians come up against the Pakistanis and uh, the Canadians get very soundly beaten on that occasion. So with all those games that he gets to play, he gets to 1,000 runs. He gets to exactly 1,000 runs before that last festival game against the Tom Pierce 11, where he makes his first 100 of the tour as well. And with that, he's got 66 catches and 21 stumpings, which is 87 dismissals. Pretty close, pretty close to being the only visiting keeper to do the keeping double. He goes on to be a very prominent test player for Pakistan. His first test century is a double. He's one of those rare players as well. Makes 209 against New Zealand. This is the year after that England tour. And the best bit about this is that he does it at number eight. It was the record score at number eight until Wasim Akram made that 257 against Zimbabwe. And he's still in second position to this day, Imtiaz Ahmed. Um, the other factoid I liked is that he had a brother called Iftikhar Ahmed, who was a first-class umpire in the 70s. And, of course, we all know that Iftimania is the big thing sweeping cricket at the moment. Iftikhar Ahmed is doing exactly what he wants every time he goes out to bat. He just hit Wahabriyas for six sixes in and over in the PSL, all of which might lead you to say, why is Jeremy Brown's number of 2079 the one that I'm going with today? Because in Imtiaz Ahmed's last test in 1962... He's back in England, he's playing at the Oval, and he goes out with a bang. Even though Pakistan lose, he makes 49 and 98. He's just short of a fourth Test 100 after being made to follow on in the second innings. But in that second innings, he becomes only the second Pakistan player after Hanif Muhammad to go past 2,000 Test runs, and he finishes his career on 2,079. One of the greats for Pakistan, Imtiaz Ahmed. That's outstandingly done. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think Imtiaz Ahmed would be able to put his own career into perspective in better fashion than uh, just how you did, Jeff Lemon. So uh, very, very impressive. And yeah, I would love to see clips of Pakistan playing Canada and that uh, famous <laughs> encounter. <laughs> so, <laughs> like the precursor for so many World Cup games that they would play. Uh, many, many more years later. Mm. Uh, I wonder if Pakistan played Canada in the 1979 World Cup and Canada made their famous ODI debut. But, uh, yeah, no, excellently done. Excellently done. Very, very impressive. Well, that is uh, our number for Jeremy Brown. Of course, you can let me know, Jeremy, if that's not the right answer. Drop us a line and send us in the right direction. A quick digression at this point. To remind people that uh, Adam Collins is he's not recording this episode, but he is going to run a half marathon in May because he's mad. And a bunch of other people who listen to the show who are also mad have agreed to do this with him to try to raise funds for the Lord's Taverners. We've done a lot of work with Lord's Tavs on this show over the last few years. And one thing that they've asked us to help out with at the moment is just to get people to sign up to their mailing list. So that's a, a no commitment thing. You don't have to put any money into it, but it just means that you're up to date with the events that they're doing. Uh, they have a really wide range of events and activities and some may not suit certain people and, and some may be just the thing. So if you're, if you're on that mailing list, you can keep up to date with things like marathons in Edinburgh. Uh, they're doing things around the London Marathon as well, but they also do some, some things that are much easier on the body, like lunches and, and so on. And what they're doing is raising funds to help out, particularly to help out kids in disadvantaged areas or kids living with disability to bring them into the cricketing fold, to help them play formats of cricket that are suited to their level of ability and to help connect them with a social group for kids who are isolated, struggling with loneliness, things like that. That's the, the priority of Lord's Tavs and, and that's why they're such a good organisation that we're happy to work with. Oh yeah, and as someone who joined their mailing list uh, only six months ago, 
Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, uh, you spoke about I'm not running any marathon or half marathon anytime soon, but uh, I did uh, go for my first Lord Taverner's luncheon last week. Justin Langer was uh, the chief guest and, uh, you know, he had a lot to talk about. Uh, this was a few months after he parted ways with Cricket Australia as head coach. But, but just being there, the food was great. There was a raffle and a lot of fantastic things, including like a bust of Don Bradman went up for uh, auction. <laughs> so, uh, and someone paid a lot of money for a bust of Don Bradman, which caught my eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, but it, it's a great, I mean, they do great things. And uh, yeah, I mean, you have nothing to lose really or ev- and everything to gain by joining their mailing list. So come on, go and do it. The link will be in the show notes if you want to click that or if you're typing it into your browser right now, bit.ly slash tavs sign up. Put that in there. You'll find it. Uh, Otherwise, just click the link. It'll take you through to the mailing list and you can sign up there. And uh, if you really, really want to run a half marathon or a marathon, drop us a line because Adam has quite the retinue of people joining him who've been getting in touch to sign up for it. Better you than me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hi, I'm Natalie Jamanis, and you're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Darcy Matthews up next with $11.39. It's in Australian dollary dues, 1139, with this clue, Barrett. He says, perhaps the pledge should be 1139 divided by six. I came across this stat pertaining to one player and a feat of his in the 70s, and it struck me as incomprehensible given the way the game is played today. I would be curious as to what stat blows your minds most. To start with, this nerd pledge blew my mind away. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll be very, very honest. I've been breaking my head over this for over three weeks. Before I left for India, after I landed in India, every evening after I would go back home after having watched Steve Smith and Manas and Usman Khawaja and everyone else uh, uh, get their heads around spin bowling. Maybe I might have even included them to, you know, bail me out here. But Darcy, you have, you have floored me because look, there are many ways of approaching this. Firstly, because uh, it says one one three nine divided by six. Any any anyone with the ability to do mental math or with access to Google will tell you that's one eighty nine. So you hear one eighty nine, you think we have Richards, right? Like you think uh, a one day innings which was scored at uh, a rapid strike rate. But of course, that happened in the nineties. 80s and not in the 1970s and there have been a few famous 189s after that then i i the other approach i took was so maybe because darcy says it would be incomprehensible based on how cricket is played these days i assumed it may be slow batting or uh someone who just took a long time to get to a 50 or but then that wouldn't count as a feat it i mean the slowest 50s uh have been scored of, uh, I think, well over 300, even 400 ball 50s have been recorded in test cricket, so it could not be that. Um, and then I, I started looking at maybe, you know, county season uh, wickets if someone took, uh, one, well, I mean, many have taken 189 plus wickets, but nobody has taken 189 wickets. So that didn't stand out. But because if it says one player and a feat, so assumed it was an innings or it was a spell... Uh, but I looked at it from all different angles. I looked at bowling averages, 11.39, uh, series bowling averages, that is. I think nobody comes close. 11.40, quite a few ga- bowlers over the years who had that bowling series average. Uh, Madan Lal, uh, Josh Hazelwood, and so many others. But uh, nobody got 11.39 because that would be quite a stat as well, right? Like uh, in a long series to finish with a test average or a bowling average of that. But I have to apologize, Darcy and Jeffrey, 
but I have failed. I have failed and this nerd pledge has got the better of me. I mean, they sometimes do. I'm looking at this as though, because divided by six says to me that it has to be to do with overs. I mean, first of all, you you can't divide nine by six. So there must be a 0.5 in there, presumably. Um, in So I'm thinking more like, is it somebody who's bowled 1,139 deliveries within a certain space of time? Because that's, that's just short of 200 overs, which a player couldn't really bowl in a single first-class match, but they could bowl it in a couple of matches. I mean, we have those records of you know we have we have things like Steve O'Keefe bowling 70 overs we have the the Ramadan and Valentine uh, test match where they bowled hundreds of overs nobody would have been able to bowl 200 overs in a first class match I'm pretty confident in saying but if it were in a couple of games if it were within a week or something like that I mean that's that's where I'm thinking this is likely to go but but to answer what you can answer is what stat blows your mind the most. I think I think a couple of my favorites, I know it's it's a really basic thing to go for a Bradman number, but it's the 1.79 for me for Bradman, 1.79 test matches per 100 that he made, which is just outrageous given that the very very best players are somewhere usually around 3 to 5 tests per 100. A couple Literally a couple are, are in the twos. I think George Headley's at 2.2. Steve Smith was at 2.7 for a long time, but then drifted out more recently the last couple of years. I'm not sure where he's at at the moment, having added a couple in, in, in recent times. But, you know, the absolute best players are three plus. Most of, you know, the very good players are, are still four or five plus. Bradman 1.79 is, is just absolute freak show material. And I think my other one is Shahid Afridi's test sixes per match which is about two sixes per test match that he played I think 20 27 tests and 52 sixes something like that where nobody else does more than one he's basically double the um <laughs> the next best so those would be mine I don't know if you've got a stat that tickles you particularly oh it has always been this one and uh and it comes at a time when uh, Australia have come to India with the wicketkeeper Alex Carey who's still looking for this and it's his first stumping. And uh, another takeaway from the Bangalore camp was uh, uh, just a little story on Alex Carey and stump, stumpings or lack thereof in Test cricket. On the last day in Sydney, remember uh, last month, when the pitch was supposed to turn square and Nathan Lyon and Ashton Agar were expected to bowl a lot of overs, I bumped into Alex Carey that morning and I just said, today's the day, Alex, today's the day. And he knew, I don't know how, he immediately knew what I was talking about. He's like, are you sure, Bharat? Is this the day? And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> and as it turned out, as it turned out, it wasn't. But I had no idea that he had remembered it. So Alex Carey spoke to uh, the media, which was just Louis Cameron and I, uh, I think on day two of the camp. And we asked him a bunch of questions. And as soon as I said, uh, Alex, uh, one thing you've not done so far in your career. And he's like, Bharat. I'm going to get a stumping on this tour. I will get a stumping on this tour. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> and, Jeffrey, you'll be here in India doing commentary for all four tests. I'll be doing the same. And he has promised. He said, no, I promise the first stumping I get, the first time I get a stumping in test cricket, forget about my teammates. I'm going to look for you and I'm going to point towards you. <laughs> and he's like, and I know Alex Kerr is genuine guy. I think he's going to do it. So watch out for okay. that. If uh, you're watching the series <laughs> and if you see, where is Alex Kerr pointing? He's just pointing at me. <laughs> uh, but I mean, this is related to it. The fact that, you know, it's been, Test cricket has been played for, I'm going to say 85 years since uh, he played his last Test match. The fact that Bert Oldfield still sits right on top with 52 stumpings and nobody... And look, so many other records have been broken, but no, n nobody has really gotten close. Ayat Kirmani and MS Dhoni got 38. They didn't get into the 40s. Godfrey Evans, of course, finished with 46 uh, and he played after Bert Oldfield. But it's a staggering stat. You know, you talk about rank turners, you talk about some incredible spinners who have played in the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years, the four quarters 
portrait of India, uh, where Syed Kirmani obviously made the most of it. Though he played a lot of his career after they had retired as well with Dilip Doshi and Ravi Shastri and all of them. Uh, you speak about Shane Warne, Murli Dharan, but but no. You know, Shane Warne and Murli Dharan took so many wickets, but no wicketkeeper has come close to Bert Oldfield. And it's a stat that just, again, like yours, it's a basic one in that sense, but it's amazing that nobody's got close and, you know, maybe uh, nobody will. <laughs> Unless, of course, Alex Kerritake gets his first one, points at me and goes on this crazy <laughs> run. <laughs> goes on the spree. I mean, that is extraordinary. But I, I guess Bert Oldfield had... Ironmonger and Blackie and these kinds of spinners that, who were bowling to him and you know Bill O'Reilly and and all the rest and Clary Grimmett who were who were able to provide those opportunities but I I had honestly never thought about the Stumpings record before but it'll be one I'll keep my eye on for now so there's uh, something of an answer for you Darcy Matthews Luke Reynolds is up next with eight dollars fourteen. I don't have a clue listed for Luke. If you did send one through, just remind me about it. Luke, if you've listened to the show a bit lately, you would have heard Luke just before Christmas in the Pombonate Cricket Club special that we did when we went down to chat to Luke about the Pombo Bulls Club in Western Regional Victoria. So 814 for Luke. I did wonder if it might be a Pombonate number and had a, a look around through some Pombonate records to see if I could pick something up there. I mean, the club has been around since the 1880s, so there's an eight in there, but not the other numbers I'm looking for. It also, it's almost in Scott Boland territory, 814, but he was never actually on 8.14 runs per wicket. At one point early in the first innings, it's Sydney in his second test. He had nine wickets for 55 runs, which was just over six runs per wicket, but never got to the 8.14. Rodney Redmond averaged 81.5 after one test for New Zealand and never played again. But if you want to know why, uh, someone will have to send in 815, not 814, because that's not the number. Moses Enriquez, uh, talking about Australian tours to India, um, sent down 55 thankless overs in his career, including uh, in Sri Lanka as well, and got two wickets, Harbhajan Singh and Bhuvneshwar Kumar. So he's got a career average of 82, but not 81.4. Uh, so I was thinking about those bowling averages, Bharat, and I did wonder about spinners visiting Australia because something rang a bell about Muralitharan's record in Australia. From memory, it was somewhere around that 80 mark. It's not quite that high. It's 75.41 he averaged in Australia. Um, there is a player, though. There is a bowler who is just about on that mark, and it is Jim Sims. Uh, if you haven't been a long-time listener to Storytime, find an episode called The Old Wasler and you will learn a lot more about Jim Sims there, a Middlesex leg spinner of the 1930s. We love Jim Sims on this show, not just for his cricketing story, which is a fascinating one, but for a, a reference to Muriel's Wedding, which I don't know if... You, you haven't seen Muriel's Wedding yet, have you, Barrett? No, I don't think I have. Okay, so this is part of... We've been doing a kind of Australian cultural education, Barrett, like things that he needs to watch. We're lining up the Brian Brown Film Festival for you where we're going to go through the entire filmography um, of Brian Brown, who who you have a, a personal connection to, to, to Brian Brown. <laughs> um, it, people may not know this, but you were once Brian Brown's understudy. I was. It wasn't even uh, too long back. It's been less than 12 months since I was Brian Brown's uh, body double. Uh, I, I was, actually, <laughs> in, more, <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, it uh, happened during the Lit Fest in Adelaide, which happens every year with the Fringe Festival. Last year, Brian Brown was supposed to, um, you know, he had a session. We were supposed to talk about this new book that... Uh, He'd written. Uh, unfortunately, Brian Brown fell ill. I got the last-minute call-up, like not for the first time, uh, you know, playing Brian Brown, I guess, <laughs> on stage. It was for a sad event. I mean, it was talk about Shane Warne. He just passed away a few days prior to that. That's when I realized that Brian Brown was quite a heartthrob back in the 60s and 70s. And I, I made that out as soon as I went there and I saw it was a biggish crowd, quite a big crowd. And they were all like uh, women of a certain age. They'd all come with their... Uh, little cameras and their books to get Brian Brown's signature and Brian Brown's uh, pictures. And then, you know, unfortunately, they had to uh, endure the sight of his body double <laughs> walking in and getting on stage. And you should have seen their faces. 
it's a Saturday morning. They're all looking around, wondering what's happening, <laughs> what happened to their dear Brian Brown. Uh, and, and there was, um, of course, a host, uh, um, uh, the, the host who was supposed to conduct the Q&A. And it was the same guy who was going to do Brian Brown, who was going to speak to Brian Brown. Um, so he goes, well, uh, he starts off saying, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. And uh, as you would have realized, Brian Brown is not here. <laughs> uh, I mean, some real Brian Brown aficionados, though, recognize me as like, you know, I was the guy in the, uh, movie number 72 who played the role of his hand in one scene. But anyway, he goes, yeah, we couldn't get Brian Brown, he's fallen ill. But hey, that's all right. We have someone who is brown. <laughs> so my reaction was no reaction. I was like, how was he supposed to react to this? But then I just looked at the crowd and 80% of them were hooting and hollering. They were in absolute ecstasy. They thought it was the funniest thing that they'd ever heard. They were slapping their thighs and... It, um, it it was quite a moment, uh, but look, clearly I stole the show. I was very emotional and talking about Shane Vaughan, and we spoke about a lot of things. To the extent that at the end of it, at least three lovely ladies uh, uh, who might have been in their fifties or sixties walked up to me and said, "Oh, one of them whispered into my ear, said, I prefer you over Brian Brown, the real Brian Brown.' So there you go. At least I ended the." Ended the session as uh, from going from being the body double to the the more the more preferred Mr. Brown. I guess oh, if you no. could call me that. Australia, what a what a place! What, goodness me! Uh, well, yeah, you you got them by the end, so. No, nobody could spend an hour with you and come away preferring Brian Brown. Um, so, so the 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 tenuous link to this is that there is a scene in Muriel's wedding where uh, she's she, Muriel Hislop is being asked about whether she has a boyfriend and she's making it up and she says yes and um, and and Rachel Griffith says what's his name and she says Tim and Rachel Griffith says what's his last name and she says Sims. Your boyfriend's name is Tim Sims. Yes. So then when we found a cricketer named Jim Sims on a podcast where one of our catchphrases is Deirdre Chambers, what a coincidence. Uh, we were absolutely sold. Two of his four test matches were in Australia in the great comeback ashes of 1937, 6-7, when Australia go 2-0 down and then come back to win it, the only time that's happened in a five-test series, another stat we like here. Uh, Jim Sims plays two of those games. Thanks for coming with the bat in an innings win to take England 2-0 up, but he takes one for 100 with the ball. And then in the second match, makes three and naught, takes two for 144. England lose by a huge margin, one run for each day of a standard calendar year, 365 runs. Uh, and that's that for Jim Sims. He doesn't play again. But his overall bowling average in Australia is 81.33, which is not 814. But if you decided to be unorthodox with your rounding and go up instead of down, you could get it to 81.4, which is a roundabout way, Luke, of saying that I haven't solved this, but I thought that it was worth revisiting our old friend Jim Sims. And I look forward to some correspondence from you to set me in the right direction for 81.4. Bharat, you are up next with Jim at Raja with $5.68. It's in Aussie currency. It has this clue. And the clue is in the form of a poem. With a slender lead, a seamer plies his trade, faces a formidable foe, unafraid, in the town of Bridges that fateful day. That lanky man made the red cherry sway, halved the opposition, a future DOB, but alas, in the fourth, his team was all at sea. Lovely work, Jim at Raja. What did you make of this? Yeah, firstly, kudos to Jimit Raja. Uh, and I, I will reveal the identity of uh, of the bowler yeah, he is talking about, uh, the lanky man that he mentions. But uh, I, I think, I'm. you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm being honest. I, I know Abhi Kurvila really well, and he is talking about Abhi Kurvila. I'm going to, and I be, I'm in India, I'll be in Bombay at uh, some point, sometime during this uh, month. So, so will you, Jeffrey. Uh, I'm going to take 
copy-paste this this poem from Jimit and send it to Abhi Kurula. I don't think anyone has described Abhi Kurula or anything is done in life in, in, in more poetic or in prettier fashion. So well done, Jimit <laughs> Raja. Uh, you won yourself a date with Abhi Kurula. So if you are in Bombay ever, uh, make sure, I'll make sure that uh, you meet him. But before that, and I'm not even kidding, I'm going to send this to him. But but yeah, what a, what a, what a famous test match. It was for Abhi Kurvilla, but what an infamous test match it ended up being for India. This is, of course, uh, the famous, infamous Barbados test of 1997 when the town of Bridges that uh, Jimmy talks about, Bridgetown Barbados, of course, uh, the Kensington Oval, uh, where India were chasing 120 for what would have been their first ever win in Barbados and, and a great, great win. Uh, this is, well, 1997, um, at, at, at a time... Uh, Jeffrey, when you know, still be winning in West Indies was mattered, right? It was still a big deal, and it was only the penalty. Yeah, it was a penultimate time India were playing a five-match series against the West Indies. They played one more in 2002, and by 2006, it had come down to four. And now I think they play only two Test match series, and whenever they go to the Caribbean, but a good series. I mean, they had we had Naujot Singh Sidhu scoring the really slow double hundred in Port of Spain in the second Test, but uh, under Sachin Tendulkar, India have this great opportunity. Even Keel, uh, the game. Games that after the first two innings, um, West Indies make 290 or India just make uh, over 300. It's an unbeaten century for Shivnara and Chandrapal in the first innings. But then it's in the second innings that Abhi Kurvilla, who came to cricket much later, and uh, he was also one of the first few, if not the first ever significant uh, Malayali cricketer, even though he was from Mumbai, uh, Malayalam-speaking cricketer to play test cricket. Uh, Shrisant and modern days Sanju Samson have uh, since made a name for themselves coming from that state. Uh, Tinu Yohanan played soon after Abhi Kurvela, but Abhi Kurvela was this tall. I wouldn't call him lanky. He was quite quite stocky for and and tall had this uh, high arm action and bustled in and uh, was known to be really 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 quick in his early days I, I i remember speaking to someone who played a lot of cricket with him uh, who's now currently a journalist in bombay and he would say man when abby bowled you you the ball just smashed into your hands if you were at slip or first slip and they would stand really far back for him but he lost his pace he had injuries throughout his uh, uh, career i think his legs gave way but on that famous day yeah he he took 5 for 68 ran through the west indies and in a very interesting bowling attack for india venkatesh prasad uh, Abhi Kurvilla and Dada Ganesh, uh, Dada Narasaya Ganesh from Karnataka, who uh, you'd see he, he's very active on Twitter these days, but uh, he had that run in 96 and 97, played tests in South Africa, tests in, in the West Indies. So um, this is when India were looking for the next rung after Srinath and Prasad or, uh, you know, or alongside Srinath and Prasad. They tried many. Abhi looked like he would be the, uh, could be the next thing. Big deal. He was in his late 20s already. This is his first series. And in his third test, when he took 5 for 68, leaving India just to 120 to chase down on an up-and-down pitch in Barbados. You thought he made a name for himself. He did, but alas, India was just rolled over for 81. And that led to the formation of that famous podcast that uh, Sid Vaidyanath and our good friend runs, 88, 81 all out. And a game that even Sachin Tendulkar made uh, a big mention of in his book, where he spoke about how that was the lowest point in his Career as captain, it led to him questioning whether he wanted to captain India if he was giving enough. And I think he also mentions uh, uh, this very Sachin Tendulkar story where apparently he was so confident that they would win the previous evening. He goes for dinner uh, somewhere on St. Lawrence Gap and uh, the waiter says, oh, definitely India is going to, or West Indies is going to beat you even though you need just a few runs to win. And uh, Ambrose is going to bounce you out or whatever it is. Uh, and Sajin Tendulkar says, well, I hit Franklin Rose for six when he tried to bounce me in the first innings, and I'm going to do that to your Ambrose again. Mm. And he also apparently says, as he leaves, leave a bottle of champagne in the fridge. We'll all be back again to celebrate this famous win, uh, only to then get out for four. And wow. uh, In fact, Vivius Lakshman was the only one to even get into double figures. I remember this celebration of Ian Bishop. Uh, it was Ambrose, Rose, and Walsh. Uh, and uh, Sorry, not Walsh. Bishop and... Uh, I remember Ian Bishop gets uh, rid of one of the batters and then just uh, kind of lands up on his knees. Could have been the last wicket. And you see Brian Lara running in from first slip and just hugging him. And I mean, 
Ian Bishop on his knees, Brian Lara on his feet, they're pretty much the same height. <laughs> so yeah, it's not that Brian Lara has to bend over. It's a famous and look, this is when my, this is my peak West Indian fandom. And trust me, I celebrated and celebrated my... I, I mean, I got a proper thrashing from my brother and I, I guess I deserved it for having, you know... I had always been the traitor at home for supporting the West Indies, but that... That was, I was almost in tears when Abhi Kuruvilla took 5 for 68 because it meant that West Indies would lose this famous test but or their famous hold on test cricket in, in Barbados. But then, yeah, West Indies rolled them over. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happened to that bottle of champagne in the restaurant, but I can tell you that I, I, I celebrated like a king. Uh, and unfortunately for, for Abhi, his, his career didn't last for two two uh, uh, or at least not his international career. He played maybe a few handful of games after that and faded away retired very early from cricket but but he's been brilliant as a selector as a junior coach in mumbai i uh, uh, he could he came very close to becoming india selector uh, i'm sure he'll, he'll have a go at that at some point so you'll hear a lot more about abhi kurila but i think he has another claim to fame jeffrey he also was uh, Bharat Sundaresan's first ever test victim. Of course, this happened some 20 years after he had played test cricket. But hey, you know, once you get a test cricketer out, he still remains a test cricketer, right? So, yeah, at Devi Patel on his home ground as well. Like, you know, there's one thing getting him out on my home ground. I went to his home ground, hunted him down. And, uh, <laughs> no, uh, and one of the loveliest people you'll ever meet. Uh, and like I said at the start of this, Jimit, I will let Abby know that you know, there's a there, somebody's written a poem on you. Well, uh, that, that's a special moment in many people's lives, or a terrifying moment if somebody writes a poem about you. Because, well, look, it, it doesn't always turn out for the best. But I, I'm just trying to get my head around Tendulkar trash talking someone. He's he's always so sweet and, and anodyne and straight down the line in his public pronouncements. I can't imagine him getting stuck into a waiter. But but there we are. That is what happened in Bridgetown when India didn't manage to chase down 120. Let's go from West Indies to West Indies. Thanks to Andrew Turner, who was sent through a pledge of $5.34. Uh, no clue that I can see. So I have taken the license to interpret this as follows. Bharat, Deandra Dotton's best figures with the ball in one day international cricket are five for 34. And I've been thinking about her a bit lately with the Women's T20 World Cup about to start and with the fact that she's not there, retired from West Indies cricket or from international cricket after the Commonwealth Games where Barbados were competing as a separate country. Um, she was competing in that, but announced at the end of that tournament that she wouldn't go back to West Indies cricket um, and she'd play on the franchise circuit from now on. And I was thinking back to 2016 when this game takes place, when South Africa are up and comers, we're a bit worried about where their women's team is going as well. When West Indies were a top side, they were only a couple of months away from winning the T20 World Cup title that year. And they're starting off a 50-over series in East London in South Africa in 2016. The West Indies score is thereabouts. They make 214, Dotton makes 28. And in the reply, you've got South Africa, the challengers, the underdogs in this sort of game. But looking pretty good. They've got 82 on the board, more than half the overs in hand, only two wickets down. Marazan Cap is batting with Trisha Chetty. And then Dotton comes into the attack, bowls a couple of overs frugally. Her third over bowls... Chetty for 47, who has opened the batting that day. Lizelle Lee comes in, and in those days she was coming in in the middle order to absolutely take on the bowling, tries to do so, misses it, struck on the pad, first ball, LBW, two in two to end the over. Two balls into the next over, Dotton bowls Dane Van Niekirk, so she's taken three in four deliveries, all straight, all hitting the stumps, once with the pad in the way. South Africa get so frazzled by this that uh, there's a, a run out in the same over, so they've lost four wickets in the space of three overs, so two of them bowled by Dotton, who has a little break, comes back, first ball when she comes back, straight through Sune loose, bang. Bowls one more over after that. She's out of the attack for a while. The partnership builds up. Marazan Cap with Shabnam Ismail puts on 70. So they need 27 from the last four overs, 27 from 24 balls difficult equation but a set partnership dot and bowls and over concedes only three so now they need 24 from 18 and it's getting a little more difficult then dot and takes the catch to dismiss ismail 
comes back on with the ball. Chloe Tryon has been injured during this game, so she's batting at number 11, but she can still hit the ball further than anybody in that South African team. So all she needs to do is get on to one or two. Doesn't. Dotton hits the stumps again. They win the game by 16 runs. Deandra Dotton has four bold and one LBW. <laughs> Just woodwork, woodwork, woodwork. And, you know, I wish she was still doing it for West Indies cricket because that team has just gone down and down and down since 2016. Oh, absolutely. What what a, what a cricketer. And I remember seeing her uh, and experiencing the Dotton or witnessing the Dotton experience for the first time in um, 2013 when uh, West Indies played uh, uh, the Women's World Cup. 50-over World Cup was held in India. I covered that tournament. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's where she made a name for herself. You'll remember she made a 100, a uh, very fast 100 and uh, one of the grounds in Mumbai and, uh, everybody wanted to know who this Deandra Dotton was. And I remember during that tournament, Jeff, I was doing some interviews for uh, for Cricket West Indies. I mean, just on the side, just uh, for for the official website. And uh, yeah, Dotton was one of the first, uh, you know, one first players from that team uh, I did the interview with. And, oh, she couldn't have been lovelier. Like, you know, you see her and just the power. She's one of those um, cricketers or people, right? You just you see her power play and you think, uh, she'll have that kind of spunk or that attitude about her cricket. She did, but uh, she couldn't have been uh, friendlier and uh, so uh, willing to just like learn about Mum- about Mumbai and India, the culture there. And uh, no, but yeah, such a superstar. And, you know, at that point, you thought uh, West Indies made the final. I mean, there were other performers, but Dorton was the one who led the way with bat and ball. And uh, I remember how big her wicket was. I'm, Going to say Holly Furling, who was the player of the match, was the one who took a wicket. Maybe I'm wrong, but that really turned the game around, uh, Dotton's wicket. And um, yeah, since she's just gone on to become one of the superstars of the game. And like you said, yeah, really disappointing that uh, she, I mean, look, good for the Adelaide strikers. Uh, she's become a, or she will become a regular there, you'd think. But uh, a big, big loss for uh, women's cricket internationally. You've got one more number on the show today, Bharat. It comes in from Toby. Uh, it's a Julio pledge, but with a nerd pledge number attached. Toby says, I couldn't afford £33, uh, so I've sent in a Julio of £2, but my number is 33 and I look forward to hearing what you do with it in a while when it comes around. So no clue attached per se, an open field for the number 33. I wonder what I would have done with this. Maybe, um, maybe I would have looked for shirt numbers if I was just looking for a, a flat 33. Where, what did you do with it? Yeah, well, this is why you and I are so close, Jeffrey, because that's where I went as well. <laughs> I, I went looking for uh, shirt numbers as well. And uh, look, 33, again, Australia on tour. Manas Labushain wears 33. Hardik Pandya is 33 in uh, white ball cricket for, uh, for India. There are a few other 33s doing the rounds these days. Uh, but I thought maybe I should go down the route of swing bowlers and not just swing bowlers of world-class quality from this generation, but uh, across generations. And uh, I, I, I did, you know, I did justice to both 33 as a number and also uh, the other number that he suggests, which is 3.30. Uh, and even though it's, it's, it's in pounds and I'm guessing Toby would want me to speak about uh, an English cricketer, which I will, but I want to start with the great Sir Richard Hadley, who did play a lot of cricket in England. Uh, let's face it, uh, there is a Richard Hadley, end, not the end, but there's a room, isn't there, in Nottingham uh, and Trent Bridge, there's Richard Hadley one end and Malcolm Marshall at the other end, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Do you mean the, um, the waiting area? The, oh, the, the waiting area, that's yeah, right. The yeah. most esteemed uh, the- naming spot in world cricket, at, at the bottom of the stairwell, the two stairwells <laughs> in the grandstand, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the Garfield Sobers waiting area and the, the Richard Hadley waiting area. Richard mm. Hadley or the other, uh, other line. Yeah, so, and generally, and we've all been guilty of this, we just, when you think Richard Hadley, we think uh, 431 test wickets, uh, all those overs he bowled and, uh, getting guys out with the outswinger and uh, his bowling action and him like being this big fan of Dennis Lilly and all of that. But we rarely ever speak about his one-day numbers. And for someone to play 115 ODIs uh, in that era, 
from early 70s to the, the late 80s is quite a significant number especially if, if you are a new zealand cricketer uh, for the longest time not many new zealand cricketers had played over 100 odi so so richard hadley was one of the one of the first to to do so and the connection here of course is his incredible economy rate over his career which was 3.30 and uh, to do that over 115 odis is is quite a feat even back then uh and uh, yeah and, and then that got me you know further into richard hadley's one day career he took wickets everywhere he took a lot of wickets in australia took a lot of wickets in england and definitely he was unplayable with the ball uh, in his home conditions uh, and 3.30 is is quite up there or right up there in terms of the best economy rates or a longish one day career because the best economy rate uh, or a career is still joel garner with 3. Uh, 09 uh, a number that we might be dealing with very soon but yeah richard hadley is right up there and and then also i started looking at other odi numbers for him and i think is number 5th amongst bowlers who bowled over uh, 100 uh, or who got over 100 wickets and their averages in bowling averages when it comes to uh, matches that they won for their country and some interesting names ahead of him including bangladesh's abdul razak who took a lot of wickets you would remember and his career spanned a long time saklin mustaq who had some incredible numbers in the late 90s uh, ajanta mendes and uh, oh, in fact richard hadley is fourth on that list so three uh, spinners and uh, three subcontinental spinners uh, followed by the great sir richard hadley and and i think we should just speak more about uh his one day numbers to be honest in my opinion and, and the other one is just to do justice to uh, the figure 33 jimmy anderson currently sits on 33 five wicket hauls if i'm not mistaken and i'm sure he'll uh, take a few more before uh you know he's he's done and uh i just thought i'll give that a mention as well since toby's uh contribution on earth pledge comes from england very good well richard hadley did the double Certainly, at least once for not didn't he the hundred wickets and a thousand runs in a season that was a, a thing that he, a, an achievement he was very determined to get a hold of and you're right maybe he hasn't come up enough on the show considering the uh, the, the amount that he achieved in international cricket there are so many numbers you could pull out of the Richard Hadley career uh, that wouldn't be the total New Zealand dollar value of the. car that he won for the player of the series which which was a net pledge answer that we had once which somehow we managed to solve i don't know how but we did manage to figure that one out one more number for the show today it comes in from ash a full name jayaram and ashwin but as we know if you're an ashwin you have to be ash that's just the law that's the way it works the number that you alluded to parat is $3.09 in USD 309 yes it could be a one day international economy rate but i don't think it is i think this has got to be Verinder Sehwag. I think it has to be his 309 his first triple the first triple by any indian batter the one against pakistan in multan he'd already made four tons to this point you talked about the 100 on debut in bloomfontein none of them have been big hundreds until he comes to australia in the tour you also mentioned and cranks out that 195 at the mcg and then it's just three months later the end of march when he makes the triple india batting first sevag goes crash and it's it's all offside like all of his boundaries there are a few flicks off the pads but basically everything is off drive cover drive sort of slice away through backward point or the cut shot and it's not like he's absolutely hurling the bat you think of sevag you hear the sevag stories and you think of him absolutely marmalizing opening bowlers but he just puts the bat there he just puts his hands through the ball and it keeps hitting the gap he makes 41 out of the first 50 72 out of the first 100 106 out of 150 and he's on 110 by the time Akash Chopra is out for 41 so you get a sense of the the scoring rates going on there his first 150 is a runner ball he's on about 229 i think at the end of the first day tendulkar about 60 so the next morning he goes past gavaskar's 236 which was the the top mark for such a long time then he moves up towards laxman towards the 281 he gets missed at slip just shy of the 281 cut shot that goes between the keeper and first slip and 
What stood out to me was this. In Melbourne, he'd been out for 195 trying to hit a six to get his double hundred. This time in Multan on 295, hits a six off Sir Glenn to go to 300. First Indian to the mark. And then, remarkably, he goes on to do it again four years later to the day, on March 29th, four years later, is when he makes his 319 against, when he gets past 300 to make his 319 against South Africa. So Bradman, Lara, Chris Gale, Sawag, the only players with two triple centuries or to go past 300 on two different occasions. And as we've discussed before, Barrett, that is the match in which Tendulkar is declared upon on 194 not out. We've gone through all the controversy around that before, so we don't need to do it again. But I will point out, I mean, he wasn't really slouching. He made 21 from his last 29 balls, but only one boundary in those 29 balls would have would have been handy to maybe pick up another one or two um, and, and get himself to that 200 and spare Rahul Dravid the decision. But the thing that really sticks with me about Sawag, and really you should be, you would have more to say about uh, VS than me, but the thing that always stays with me is Richie Benno's pronunciation in the EA Sports Cricket 2002, where he's, he always, it's this, this strange contraction of it. He goes, bowling to Sawag. Svag. <laughs> and and that's all I can think of really when I when I hear the name I always hear Richie in the recording booth in 2001 sometime laying down some sweet tracks for EA Sports. Verenda Svag. Ah, Richie Benno. Uh, I mean what a what a boon he was to video games. Uh you know, EA Sports. Uh, all of them nine, cricket 97 uh, when you get your team would get out for a low score that's that there isn't any more now and they will be really disappointed and you would actually feel like your dad's talking down to you I always felt like that <laughs> every time my team was had a collapse in cricket 97 Richie Beno would just shake his head and look really disappointed but yeah I mean the significance of that 309 as well yes first ever Indian to get there uh, first test of such a highly uh, built series, India's return. I spoke about Pakistan's return to India, but this is in- India's return to Pakistan. Uh, something seems so inconceivable these days, right? Because it wasn't just on the cricket field. Uh, there were all these uh, friendship plans. It was called the Friendship Tour. The tagline was Dil to jitenge. I remember very clearly which is which translates to we will win hearts uh, the great Imran Khan was in the commentary box I remember in the studio and they had started the the famous uh, I think is it Delhi to Lahore or uh, a, 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 a bus from uh, the northern part of India to Lahore so uh, the borders that were opening up people were coming Pakistanis were coming to India families were meeting each other for the long, for the first time in years or 15 20 30 years maybe uh, and I've spoken to a lot of Indian journalists who covered that tour uh, they didn't have to pay for a single thing it was much uh, very different to the Pakistan tour we went on last year I mean everybody was welcoming and hospitable but this was just insane really and the welcome that uh, the teams and the journalists and the players and everyone else got and to lay a marker like Virendra Sevak did especially with that 6 to get to uh, 300 uh, I just summed up the series here yeah, India then go on to win that series and they went back in 2006 and won uh, another series and uh, funnily enough Pakistan uh, there was a period like in classic Indian cricket right you don't uh, do something for a while, and the moment it clicks, you just you just overdo it. So India played Pakistan uh, four times in four years. <laughs> just, India would go one year, the next year Pakistan would come, then India would go again, and so yeah. And then of course all that came to the stuttering stop in uh, 2008. But uh, yeah, famous uh, famous innings, uh, a famous moment when uh, Virendra Seva gets there and. Um, he has always said he has scant respect for spinners, especially finger spinners. And what better way to prove it than to hit a six of one, a, a very premier finger spinner to get you uh, the your country's first ever triple hundred. <laughs> well, he'll uh, no doubt be floating about somewhere during this Australia India series as well. That's it for us on our very uh, India centric final word story time today if you want to be part of the show very easy to do go to patron.com slash the final word 
And uh, once you've got there, you can select your number, you can choose how often you want to send it through. It's all in your control. You can help us keep making the show and you can be part of the fun as well. Barrett, thank you for joining the fun today and uh, I will see you in Nagpur very shortly. Oh, can't wait. City of Oranges. <laughs> City of Oranges. All right, slice one in half for me. I'll be there any minute. Uh, we've got plenty more coming up in the feed. The daily shows will be beginning again from the test matches as well. We'll try to get the regular weekly show in the feed too uh, before the test match starts. That's it. Jeff Lemon, Barrett Sundarason. We'll see you next time. I had to go.